in my family, hard work and, and kind of working class family, and we always had this line, which was, don't ever think that you're too good to wash dishes, to be a dishwasher, right? And that's always stuck with me. And so I remember there was this problem in this back alley. The garbage guys wouldn't take the garbage from this old couple. Their 85-year-old couple lived in this house for 55 years and paying taxes. And they couldn't get their garbage cans in the little slope in the alley. And like, you know, you go through your city processes to like figure out how you can do it. And the guys are gonna look at it, no, I'm not gonna do it. And they're gonna. And so I just went and got, took a shovel myself, put it in the back of the truck. And I went out there Good for as you. a city councilor. And, in, in, and for three hours, me and my staffer just dug out and put some rock down. And that was just like my job, right? Like, I remember there's this old lady. What does it take to live your best life on your terms? To change how things are done? How do you need to show up as a leader so you feel capable of making a difference? What needs to happen that has us able to confidently say we are truly living, leading, and operating our businesses and our lives from our purpose? Join me over drinks as I go behind the scenes to reveal the freedom, fulfillment, and success this sort of radical thinking has had in the personal and professional lives of my guests. Ideas and notions of change, they emerge first in thought. Then they are expressed in words and caught by those in earshot. Votes are tallied, an election has been won, but the battle it has not. Simply a direction to take, like arrows in a quiver. A person is judged not by his dreams that shimmer, but by his deeds, his actions, and his commitment to deliver. Politics is not a comfortable arena for me. And I'll be honest, there were a few moments on this podcast where I was wanting to just hide in the bush. Evan Woolley is a man, a friend, a husband, a father, and a son. A human being, just like me, just like you, in case you forgot. Throw on the political designation and all of a sudden, everything is not as it was. He's not treated like the rest of us and has been tasked with some of the most impossible objectives within our society and communities. Such is the life of those in leadership roles, and therein lay their secret superpower. It was great to get to know Evan, hear about his journey and the defining moments that had him take on the call to arms. We speak to the circumstances he experienced as a young boy, growing up in the southeast of Calgary during the 80s with two moms and one dad. The expectations his family had of him and his siblings that groomed them into the leaders they became and the key role he played as a stakeholder and advocate of what the future could look like for Calgary's diverse communities. My, my parents came to Calgary in 78, 70, 1978. From uh, where? From my mom and dad, my dad, mom, my mom grew up in East Van and my dad kind of grew up all over. His dad was an accountant for like mining companies and so they kind of moved all over but grew up a lot in Surrey. You see, back when Surrey was like in the 50s, was like a middle-class white neighborhood. Right. <laughs> now yeah, it's, I think, it's one of changed. the most diverse communities in, the, in, in the, one of the, and the fastest growing municipality in the, in the country is the Surrey. But came here uh, on the promise that a lot of Calgarians came here for, which was all of this, you know, this boom town. And obviously got here and then in 1980 with the evils of the any national energy program. No, I, I say that somewhat in jest, but the economy, the economy tanked and lost the house. And lost the marriage, and I, actually, my, my parents 
bought a house together, their first house together in the city in Riverbend, which was the mm. the, the southernmost edge of the of, of Calgary in nineteen uh, in nineteen seventy nine. It was their third house, but their third house built in Riverbend. And there's this there's a picture of me sitting on this like stack of shingles in this middle of this like you know construction site of, <laughs> of the house that they built and. And yeah, so that's kind of where my, my family started. It was like Ogden, Ogden Riverbend in uh, 1980. Although I was born at the Holy Cross Hospital, which was okay. obviously the hospital that serviced the south side of the city. Yeah. Uh, and is in, actually in the neighborhoods that I now represent. So, yeah. So that's where uh, where it began. And and you talked a little bit about the journey of uh, living in Ogden and and the progress, uh, the, the, the process of what your parents wanted, what your mom wanted for you, I guess. I, I'm not sure if dad was yeah. in the picture then. Or, yeah, you know. no, my, my dad, yeah, my dad was in the picture, and I grew up, I, I grew up in a very modern family with my mom and dad being together, and then separating, and my mom ended up falling in love with a woman who's my my mom as well, and they oh, wow. were together for 35 years. Nice. But yeah, I mean, Ogden was like a very working class, blue collar, neighborhood most of most of the people living in Ogden worked in the manufacturing and in, 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 uh, on the railroad in industrial and on the railroad on the east side of town and in the southeast and, uh, and my mom ran this very successful little daycare and she was an educator and at the time a single mom and it was this way for us to her to us for her and her partner Lynn and have you know to run a business and make money and put food on the table but as well taking care of there were four kids mm-hmm. four kids from both like both families Lynn, or from so my mom and my dad my mom and my dad had my older sister, my, then me, then my younger sister. Okay. And then my mom's partner, Lynn, had Cameron, also with my dad. That's an interesting triangle. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, it was a different time, and being gay in Calgary was not something that you could do, and, and in vitro fertilization for oh, I see. was not a thing. And right. so, you know, families were created in different ways, and... I mean, my, my my mom and her partner Lynn couldn't couldn't be in couldn't, were not unable to be uh, in, uh, out, you could not be out of the closet, and so it was the narrative was two single moms living together to make it you know for eco- for an economic rationale. But uh, yeah, I grew up in a loving a loving family, just like every other uh, not every other, but just like other, other any other kid out there, and yeah, yeah. So, what would you say were some of those defining moments for yourself as you were starting to grow into who you now are as a leader in the community. Well, it's funny, I did this, what is that group uh, where you learn how to give speech, it's like the speech, the speech group where you learn how to give speeches? <laughs> yeah. What is it called? Toastmasters. Toastmasters. I once was asked to give a speech when I was early on, when I was elected. I feel like the last eight years, and I, I'm going through a reflective moment in, in my life as a politician because I'm exiting, ex- exiting stage right here <laughs> pretty shortly, but early on when I was a young immature leader but someone they had asked me to come and, and give a to come and give a thing at the city of Calgary's Toastmasters Club which nice. is all the city staff and I reflected on it and actually one of the one of like the foundational skills of leadership that was kind of forced upon me was in my mom's ownership of this daycare and so I was the child that was, uh, you know, amongst peers in the daycare, but was also the son of the owner of the daycare. And that was there. There was like a dueling roles of peers, but also as as the son of the owner. And it was, and when I say that was a large daycare, there was a hundred kids in this daycare. Oh wow! This was like a no joke. It was in. They found like there was a big gym in it, and it was in this old kind of like industrial bay. 
I remember, uh, it's quite funny, uh, we talk about rail safety particularly, but I remember that the yard and the fence and the playground went to, to between you and where the, like, where I am now and where the train was, so like literally 10 feet, and I remember we would shake the fence as the trains were oh whizzing by us, which now I can tell you, uh, in 2020, not in 1980, they, they no longer approved acres in their <laughs> playgrounds next to, uh, but the... But I, 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 I digress, but there was an expectations flung upon you as the son, and my mom had very strong expectations about us, right? So she's the son, she's telling these parents, running this business, telling these parents, I'm gonna take care of your kids. And if she had like some, you know, some crappy kid, like I was also the, I had to be the promotional material, or this I don't know if I'm, if I'm saying that. The end result, and so, yeah, yeah. so that, that, you know, being able to speak in crowds and provide leadership role as a child growing up was it was an expectation and were, were kind of not a requirement but it was a natural thing and my sisters and my brother were all natural leaders as well yeah yeah i grew up in something similar uh, so i was born and raised as a jehovah's witness and what happens inside of those communities is at a young age you're encouraged to not necessarily speak your mind because there is there is a thing to follow and yeah. you follow that thing but to participate in the discussion and to, uh, and to share with a group. And so whether that is in a small group or in front of 200 people, like I've, I, I was born and raised in that environment. Yeah. So at 12 years old, I would present on a particular topic in front of 100 people. And that just that was just normal for me. That was just how it went. Or or going door to door, which I really didn't like. I, I don't know of many who did, but you did it because that's what you did. Yeah, and I mean, in in my belief of uh, of, of inherent qualities, and so right, like you, some people are born natural leaders, and, and, and but also the learned qualities of that. And yeah, I, and, I, and I remember people like I remember watching Obama's speeches, and, and Obama giving speeches was just like an unbelievable thing. He was probably a natural, gifted speaker. But uh, there's this story of him basically saying, "No, are you kidding me? I practiced uh, and studied the the art of, of oration and became good at it through an insane amount of hard work and practice." Right? Yeah. And, 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 you're seeing the end result. Yeah, a friend, a friend of mine's a reporter, and he said once, and he's like a very like factual kind of reporter, like just like like he's like atheist and believes nothing in nothing but rational thought. And uh, he said once, his mom, his mom put the lasagna on the table. She said, "Oh, I don't think this lasagna is going to be very good." And he said, "Mom, how many times have you made lasagna?" She said, "Oh, well, this is only my second time." He said. Well, what would make you think that you're good at making lasagna? <laughs> wow! And it's like a very, you know, like what a son of a bitch. But, but, but it was a, he he referenced that that story when we were talking about Barack Obama's speech giving, and I remember laughing and laughing about it because it's true, right? Yeah, there is a a degree of work involved in anything that we're aspiring to do in our lives, and the trap is the the perception of overnight success, yeah. quick win, which, which actually is a complete fallacy. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. The lottery ticket is an incredibly foolish. Uh, Yet how many people play it? A lot. Right? A lot. In the hopes of, yeah. and then you set that as your future intention for your life, right? Yeah. In the hopes of winning whatever lottery might fit in blank statement there. Yeah. 
which you know is just not the case. So you went into politics. I, I got to be honest, like I, I avoid politics. I'm triggered by politics. Some of the work that I've been doing inside of brand and the, the work of building reputation and influence out in the world, which is effectively what brand is. Mm-hmm. And then I, I look at what our leaders, and it doesn't matter which one, what, what happens when they're out there and doing their thing and the, and the ripple effect, the negative ripple effect that happens, it's very easy and, uh, and I know I'm not the only one because there are many institutions out there like Edelman who, who've been measuring th- a thing like trust, trust in the barometer. world. The Edelman trust barometer. That says, yeah, we don't trust our institutions anymore, right? Our leadership and, and it's been an ongoing grapple and this has been the, the arena that I've been uh, playing inside of by measure of my own journey and, and exploring being heard like what does it take to actually be heard for who you are and the value you bring yeah. what do you got to do how you got to show up what's the the secret sauce right and the secret sauce is always being trustful well trust is now a very scarce commodity and you look in politics it's even i would say there's a negative balance of trust right yeah. Uh, so it, it is a, uh, it's not an easy arena to go into and be the gladiator for a positive impact in the world. Yeah. What, yeah. what happened? Like, why did you decide to take that? It, it's one of those unfortunate things in, 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 in that relationship of trust between politicians and the public is something that ebbs and flows and it's in, it's in a downward ebb for a number of reasons, particularly big generational transition that we're seeing, massively shifting economies. The world is moving very, very fast and big organizations like government are, are actually built to go slow right. and be cautious. Yeah. And there's a big disconnect that's happened from that. You know, it's funny, the distrusting politicians is an interesting one. And I think broadly people have this cynical view, but and I mean, I'm not just like, now I'm going to be like the classic arrogant politician, but I'm quite popular in the words that I represent. And uh, I won the last election with, with uh, an overwhelming, overwhelming majority. And I think a part of that is something that I've worked h- hard at, which is being of and from the neighborhood, right? Well, I, well, I don't represent Ogden because I moved into the, into the inner city and I've lived here for over 25 years. Um, I am of the neighborhood and I think there's this disconnect between the the constituencies the immediate constituencies and the politician right and i and i think it's that you're not of you're not from here there's nothing um, to relate to there's nothing they they're it's an unrelated thing and i think one of the reasons why i've been successful and again in my in my job even at the beginning you have to be become quite comfortable with like one in three people hating disliking you and that's like a p- pretty clear thing, right? Like you have, you represent nine, I represent 95,000 people. There's no way in the diversity of the people that I represent that everybody's gonna like you. And so, you, but you, but it's still a weird thing. Imagine that, imagine in your world, right? Like that one in three people that you hung out with disliked you quite oh, a bit. Oh man, it's a hard pill to swallow. Game, sure. But that I've worked really hard. There's two, there's two pieces that I think are important. One is being from the neighborhood and really working to reflect them. And one of the reasons why I've had been able to have tough, good, tough conversations is when people say, you don't understand our problems, Evan Williams. And what are you talking about? Like, how long have you lived in this neighborhood? Like, seven years. Well, I've lived here for 25 years. Like, you know what I mean? The, the, there's a credibility 
in that direct connection to the to the geography of the neighborhood and it's a different thing it's something actually that in most politics you're disassociated because of political parties one of the really wonderful things about me is my brand is just me mm -hmm. it's me evan woolley and the individual there's no baggage of the party you know my policies are my ideas my ideas are coming out of my neighborhoods and it's just a much simple a much tighter connection and if you look at overall citizen satisfaction surveys of individual counselors in the neighborhoods the numbers are actually not that bad and so the edelman trust barometer is kind of like this like it's a larger big, it's a bigger, large yeah the the other piece that i think is really important is an authenticity and like that idea and, and it actually has to do with brand which is your field which is people particularly millennials are consuming immense amounts of information and they're very smart Right? The voter is very smart. I always think of like that idea of the dude on the back of the CP rail train being like, I will with the broom, being like, I will sweep this government clean. And like that kind of shit is just kitschy and it doesn't work and politicians still do it. Yeah. And oh, there's this really disconnected and, and, and particularly millennials who are now the largest voting block. We, we just recently millennials outnumbered baby boomers in the history of Western democracies. And that's a huge thing that millennials can smell bullshit way more than our parents did and uh and that's a big factor i think in in, in that in that disconnect yeah we were groomed well i shouldn't say we because i'm not a boomer but our our parents were were groomed to just accept it for what it was and what was said to trust to trust the system because they have your best interest and and who are you to say otherwise right and and that's a, a a big blanket statement but yeah. i would i would say that it's it's very true by measure of how they carried their life right they yep. just went along their way and and the 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 rhetoric and hell you you look at all of the shows i don't know why wonder years is coming up but they just accepted it for what it was and there was nothing to do about it there's nothing you could change and then you come up with I think our, our generation, we, we're a lost generation in some regards. Sorry, do you consider yourself Generation X? I think so, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I've always considered myself, and you're a little bit more on X, and I'm a bit of a cusp yeah. ex-millennial, and it's like 1980-ish. It's a weird thing. I identify as the first elected millennial in the city, I'm yeah. 40, and I'm 40 now. Yeah, there, there is a, uh, there's an interesting gap there, and, and it's very, it's not a hard stop no, either, no, right? There's like no there's, January, December 31st, no, January. No, it, it filters through and overlaps quite seamlessly. Yeah. Uh, but what's so great about our generation is the audacity to challenge what was always said as absolute, right? Yeah. To say n no when it was always a yes. I, I remember having this dinner, uh, and, and sort of the, the, the reason for that is just the access to information. Absolutely. And I remember it was like 20 years ago, I was having dinner with this really awesome older guy, Roger Haynes, a friend of mine's dad, and he's just this like wicked dude, but he was stating facts at the table with a bunch of us with our, like, our Apple phones, like right, sitting on the table. And he was just like, we'd had like a number of bottles of wine at dinner and he was kind of like pontificating these things. And I think we're like, no, that's actually not true. And he'd be like, well, of course it is. And he is, and we're like, no, 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 hold on one sec. No, that's not true, dude. It's right here, right here on Wikipedia. And he's like, and I remember he was like, he was exacerbated at totally. the end of the evening and got like quite mad. 
to you like fuck you, fuck you and all of your fucking information and he kind of had this you know this like who are you to tell me yeah, the truth the truth and it's like the, the you know and it's like that access just like sheer amounts of information that's accessible to us is, is made us worse I mean no, I don't want to say like Having a phone doesn't make you smarter, <laughs> but you do with but, the information. But you have the information. Yeah, and when and you I, need at your finger, literally at your fingertips. Absolutely, uh, it, it is a a power, right? And I don't know if you're a superhero fan, but huge. With great power comes great responsibility. Huge. I, I, I use right. that. I use that. I use that line all the time. He was a smart man, even if he wasn't real. <laughs> You know, like uh, it's very true, and I, I think that that's the the thing that we all see when I say we, it's this next generation that we all see is just not being honored, yeah. and and it's very obvious when it's not being honored because it's so polarized now between how you should carry yourself in in being responsible and accountable for your actions versus just reacting and, and, and doing something in the moment because I can or because I said so or yeah. whatever outdated, antiquated uh, justification it, it was, right? So there is a need for leaders to, to be able to operate inside of the chaos of uncertainty and the darkness of not knowing because you're clear about the direction that you're going in right that vision of the future to be able to bring people with what, what would you say about to that what, what would you talk about yeah you know I, I think right you know one of the reasons why I'm exiting politics is because I think the skills that I have right now and again there's a selfish part of like I'm old right like there's this like piece of like well I'm right found myself and again I'm like optimistic to the point of naivety it's uh, a in, good place my, to be though in my in my worldview and I found myself being cynical and, and jaded in this political environment that we're in and God knows the Americans just had to deal with and are continuing to deal with forces that are seeking to completely destruct the country uh, and, and completely tear down their political, their, their democratic system. But even in in Alberta here, and there's different leaders are meant, right? There's natural, like there's there's nat well, there's trained natural leaders, people in leader. Right? Just because I've got the job of city councilor, I'm automatically a community leader. Yeah, by default. By default. Yeah. Um, I think that I have some leadership skills that have allowed me to do my job much better than others. Right, Sean, Ch Sean Chu is a city councillor and he's in a position of leadership, but he is not a leader. In fact, he's a small, what I believe to be an incredibly small, petty man. So there's a difference between leadership position, and, and that's like in any company, right? Or in any leadership role. Uh, there's the job and the title, and then there's the skills to be a leader, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've reflected hard on our own Mayor Nenshi, who has some, incre some incredible leadership skills. He's an incredible speaker. He's unbelievably smart. He, in his role in the last decade in city council, has struggled at, at certain points in his own leadership skills, right? In the flood, there, there is not a better person who could have got us through this catastrophic flood um, than him. 
and I and I think I know, and he's someone who I've watched really closely, but also Jason Kenney, mm. right? Who has man? He's going through the ringer right now because the skills required to get us through a pandemic in this massive economic downturn are are are, are all skills that leadership skills that he possesses none of, and in fact is quite the opposite of right. This pandemic. An economic downturn have 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 proven him completely ill-equipped, unskilled, and, and and probably hating his job a lot. Right? Like he ran, he he ran, and his vision and, and, and skills are all around divisiveness, fear, distrust of government, and in a type of pol- political practice that was the opposite of what we fucking needed when when the pandemic hit. Right? So how do you think um, they could have done? better like what was missing i mean he's the decider the interesting thing about uh, about uh, the westminster political system in our in our political system is is that the canadian prime minister is way more powerful than the american president in the context of their jurisdictions right the premier of alberta is way more powerful than the governor of texas right in in their states and so he rests a lot on him, but it was, I mean, I mean listen, I, I, I never voted for that guy, but, you know, for a number of reasons, even before the pandemic, but, but what we realized is in this pandemic is how much we need government. <laughs> Literally, the economies would have collapsed if it weren't for the government, all right? And, and he had a practice of the government, less government is better government, you know? And, and, and it was like, well, actually, that's, that's entirely untrue <laughs> today <laughs> without the government pumping billions of dollars into into our economy, right? Uh, we, we, the economies would have collapsed and we would have had complete total unemployment, right? I, I think there, I'm, I'm not gonna go there, but I, I do believe there is a by design and intentionality around that to need the government in that capacity. Like there were powers that be that that did certain things. I, not, say, I say all of that not knowing at all what your own political... Uh, I, I have no be. political stand at all. Yeah. All I know is none of it's working. Yeah. And for different reasons, right? Sorry, it, sorry. Can I challenge you on that? Sure. What isn't working? The roads get swept and the, the buses are running on time and the garbage, every day the garbage gets, gets picked up. And all of that stuff is working for sure. Well, that okay, is Okay, so, yeah, yeah, fair enough. So the kids go to school? Yes, mine don't. Okay. Uh, they're, they're homeschooled Homeschool. now. Just, there's a system. But of they it. were part of that system. Yeah. And I was part of that system. Okay, so let me retract some yeah, of yeah, that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's all I'm good. I'm a great defender of the role of government. Hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, here, here's a thing that I don't, that I, that I have an issue with. The, the command and control function of government. They take it too far. And Can you give me an example? Okay, let me give you a good example. I don't believe they're telling the truth of what's going on with this pandemic. You don't? I don't. In what way? I believe there is a bigger agenda going on to further uh, create a subservient populace. And and it just seems like uh, through the actions that they're taking that, that that is being validated, right? I'm not diminishing or dismissing that there's an actual pandemic going on. Yeah. I, I do believe that, that there is something going on. There's lots of machinations of government that are happening. There is. Uh, and, and systems being set up and all, yeah, all sorts and of things. Yeah, and it's like, sure. hey, don't, 
don't look over here yeah. pay attention to this over here uh, because we're busy over here doing this thing that you don't need to know about but that would be a, that's an inherently that's an inherently cynical view of humanity though right it can or, because be like, yes that, that could happen you, you must i mean and you work in brands so you work for big companies right that must be or is that inherently your view of corporations no it's not so amazon I'm, i am actually facebook yes i i think there is tesla things that we <laughs> don't know that they're not saying and i can't say for sure because i don't know mm -hmm. but here's the thing about uh about humanity right yeah when when things when you feel like it's it's a, there's a lot of intuition inside of the game that is humanity being mm -hmm. human right mm -hmm. um and coming from a place of absolute truth being raised as a christian as a jehovah's witness to to say listen this is the truth and it cannot be compromised full stop end of story but yet when there are gaps in in their um, in their ideology and, and in their preaching, that is a disconnection, a discord between action and speaking. Uh, you can't. I can't. How I can't speak for anybody else. Yeah. I can only speak for myself. I couldn't help but think, go, oh, something's not right here. And there was that little that that little guide going. You should you should probably not accept this for what it is. And it's it's the same thing now in in uh, in what's going on here. It's like, I, 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 there are things that the government is doing that has been of invaluable support to the community, without question, without question. And I believe you're up to something, because intuitively, there's something off. There's a discord. But 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 intuition is not fact. No, it's not. <laughs> but neither is the fact that they claim. Right, I, I believe that there's pieces that they are that that's that's missing. Yeah, not knowing, but I, I that's just what I yeah. believe. Right? No, no, no. I I, I I appreciate that. I think like you've come back to this this piece of people's uh, perspective uh, and trust uh, of of government. And not only, and again, actually, it's not only government. I bring up the um, the big those players, are, those in, those those who control power. Yes, those, those with power in our society. Look at it, look at generationally. And, and some of that mistrust comes, you know, never mind. And like, listen, we, we, the city of Calgary is actually like a very high, massively high functioning, very efficient service, right? Because we're just, we just, all we do, all, not all we do, we do a lot, but we run the operations of the city. So when you flush your toilet, the shit that you just shat into that toilet is, goes in and you is completely cleaned and goes back into the Bow River. Yeah. And one of the reasons why the Bow River has some of the best fishing in the world is because there's all of these wonderful fish that are eating all of the leftover particles of excrement that go into their, <laughs> into their river. Uh, and we do that incredibly well. The bad things about government is there is an increasing disparity between the richest in our society and the poorest, right? And there are, 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 are pretty significant disparities, I mean, getting better, but a significant uh, disparities between between white and and people of color and there are disparities big class disparities and regional disparities and, and those aren't those are getting exacerbated right yeah there's an, an increasing spread and I think 
that that distrust. I mean, me telling you how awesome everything is as I we sit on this like in, on the front porch of my of, of a beautiful house is, is something that I, I'm very I'm hyper aware of. But it, it and 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 gut and and again, I always say that as as a leader, I'm like I try to make evidence based decision making. And I, I bet I undermined your intu- intuition a bit there by saying, well, what is the, give me specific examples of facts around your intuition. Intuition and your gut are also important. And they need uh, to work as much in as balance. what drives you know as much as your heart, right? And, yeah, yeah. and what is the balance of how we live our lives and interact with each other as humans in that in that measure of our of our head and our heart and our gut and and how those drive a, a whole range of decisions that we make in, in terms of how we live together. Well, and there's an extreme that we can tend to get caught up in to ignore one or the other, right? We go full intellectual, give me the facts. Yeah. I'm not interested unless you give me the facts. Not ignoring that, that intuitive play yeah. that's there, right? It's, it's got to uh, be I like, the, I like that line, which, it ain't right. It just ain't right. I know it. I just know it. Right. You know, and they're like, well, how do you know it? I just know it. <laughs> now, you gotta, and there's a certain amount of respect that, that comes with that. And you got to be willing to be okay with being challenged by it and be willing to to listen. So here's a, here's a great thing to talk about. The act of listening. There is a direction that that conversation could have gone, right? Because I shut down my listening. It, I'm not saying I like, did. How am I going to fuck this guy up? <laughs> not even. It, it, for me, it would have been like, okay, I'm not, I'm not even entertaining this conversation. Yeah. Fuck this shit. I'm not even going there. In which case, I'm not listening anymore, right? And now you said your piece, but I didn't hear it. So it's a mute point. Did you not? You weren't listening at all? No, no, no. Oh, I'm not saying I wasn't. <laughs> I could have. <laughs> but this is my point. Yeah. The opportunity is to, yeah. to, to be able to hear what's being said, not, not for what, uh, what, is it, what it's being claimed as is like absolute truth, which yeah. we tend to go, right, as human beings, is like, this is how it's done, which is not true. It's yeah. what you believe should be and how it needs to be carried out but that's not the truth of it yeah. it's it's too complicated to be so black and white and as leaders we need we need strong listeners as leaders yeah. what do you I, have to say about that yeah i i mean listen and especially as i get older you have to work you have to work really hard to put yourself in other people's shoes you do it you is to, hard work it is hard work to to do that especially as you get older right because you're setting your ways and, and and being you know changing and and i think like one of the things that i've worked really hard in you know what i've done actually a lot of the work was around the systemic racism work that we that we we've gone on in this city which is you know we live in this in, in one of the most incredible examples of pluralism uh in the world right that all of these different people from all over the world are living together. It's pretty it's incredible. Pretty incredible. Yeah. At the same time, we have unbelievably deep systemic racism that sits within our community with our, our indigenous citizens and with black, particularly black, but also persons of color in our community who have unbelievably different experiences living in our city. And I have uh, worked super, super hard as someone white, male, and of, and of incredible privilege uh, to really put myself into their shoes to understand them. And one of the problems that we've had even on this city council is, is that people are unwilling to do that. 
Um, because because you know why? Because it's really uncomfortable. Totally. To what are you going to do about that? Like it, it's really uncomfortable. And, and in order to put yourself in other people's shoes, you generally in anything. Never mind just that, but in anything, you have to uh, put yourself into positions of discomfort. And humans are biologically built not to do that, right? And the other thing that I, that I really try to do, which is. I, I, as that conversation was going that way, it could that could have right like we both could have shut it, down and just totally. changed the subject. And I had this inkling that I didn't like what you. But I, I also work hard to just validate people's concerns in a conversation, and it's so it's our, our obviously d- completely disarming. And then as I as you validate someone else's concerns, you actually automatically by validating them, soften your own perspective on on, on where they might be coming from, and. Uh, uh, you know, as a leader, that's taken a lot of practice. I've had to practice that. It because is I listen, a practice. I have to listen and engage with um, a lot of people's issues, p- positions, and everything. And, and I mean, nothing. You know, there's nothing that sometimes frustrates me more. And uh, patience is not one of my one of my strong character traits. And I have to. Uh, I have to. Oftentimes, people come to me with their challenges that they're having with immediately at that day. And sometimes those challenges seem really, really petty yeah. and stupid. And, yeah. and when I put them on my priority list of the 90,000 people that I represent and the challenges that were going on in our community, I think, well, that doesn't matter at all, but it's my job. Uh, it is absolutely my job for that person's issue to, to, ma- to matter. It's, it, it, it is my, in my job description for it to matter to me. And so I try to like scale all of these things. So like systemic racism, collapsed you know structural shift in our economy and you know pothole in you know six inch deep pothole in back uh, in back alley of <laughs> upper middle class neighborhood yeah, you know right. <laughs> oh my god so how do you how do you manage that for yourself what, what do you need to do for yourself to be able to to be powerful inside of that yeah you know, I mean, never think that you're better than anybody else, right? Mara, Mara has this great line. In Calgary, what's awesome about Calgary is nobody cares who your daddy is. <laughs> um, and I always kind of thought that was awesome. But, you know, in my family, hard work and, and kind of working class family, and we always had this line, which was, don't ever think that you're too good to wash dishes, to be a dishwasher, right? And that's always stuck with me. And so I remember there was this problem in this back alley the garbage guys wouldn't take the garbage from this old couple. Their 85-year-old couple lived in this house for 55 years and paying taxes. And they couldn't get their garbage cans in the little slope in the alley. And like, you know, you go through your city processes to like figure out how you can do it. And the guys are gonna look at it, no, I'm not gonna do it. And, they're gonna... and so I just went and got, took a shovel myself, put it in the back of the truck. And I went out there as a city councillor and, and, and for three hours me and my staff were just dug out and put some rock down and that was just like my job right like I remember there's this old lady who lived in uh, oh my god why am I blanking on her name I haven't seen her in a few years she lived in Spruce Cliff and she literally just called me one day and and, and again this is just like the 311 right like you, you know I'm like dealing with a, you know, a new Flames Arena negotiation and we're building a massive LRT through the downtown. She called me and said uh, that the soffit of the downspout on her eaves trough had come off. And, um, Betty, Betty Cooper, the eaves trough had come off and, and, and she didn't know what to do about that. Her husband had died and the kids weren't around much. And so I went up to her house 
that afternoon with the screwdriver in, in a step ladder, and I, <laughs> and I remember looking down around her and I was like, do you know what a good, I said to her, Betty, do you know what a good city councilor I am? And she had her hands on her, you know, like the old lady had her hands on her, she said, Evan, it's about time a politician actually did any work. Yeah, yeah. And I remember laughing, so and I think like that's how like I've kind of kept myself reasonably grounded and just being from the neighborhood, right? Like everybody, it's this piece of it doesn't, we have all of these structures of government, but the most basic structure of our communities is just people being good neighbors, right? People being people. People just like living together. I, you know, like you got the uh, guy, guys will call you. And I said to this guy frustrated one day, and these are like very minimalist problems, but it's about these relations where the street sweepers, his neighbor had left his car out and the street sweeper went around him. So it's just like one stall. And I was like, and this is the opposite. I could have gone out and like, I could have gone like Betty Cooper's and gone and sweep the street, but I was mad. I was like, are you an able body? And I said, are you an able bodied man? And he said, yes. I said, do you have a push broom in your garage? He said, yes. I said, Daryl, go and fucking sweep it up. Do you know how much money it would cost me and the, like, the, to get the street sweeper to drive and clean up like some gravel and leaves from the front of your house? It would cost, it's, it, it's ridiculous, right? Next year, go call your neighbor and you see his car out there, front. go tell him to move his fucking car! Like, and there's that, there's also like that, like expectation of government. It's like, well, I pay taxes. And it's like, you don't pay nearly, you know, your, your tax, the value that you're getting those taxes you pay doesn't like cover the, the one shot for the one year that the guy comes by and misses cleaning no. the, the little bit of gravel. Go and clean off the gravel, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you point to something really interesting. We have a tendency to, just go, well, you know, if only you would do your job, it would work. When in reality, you've got the fingers pointing back at you going, well, well what could you do about it? It's the John F. Kennedy, right? Don't ask what you, your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And it's that piece of public service, right? Like, I mean, you know, one, one of the pieces, and I've given my public service, and I never really believed in politicians being politicians forever. And it's tiring you make zero dollars. I mean, I, I had this one guy call me and say, you know, you get you, you know, you're screwing us and your salary is this and you should be working this. And I, 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 in the, in my first term, and I'm probably lurking a little less now, but in my first term, Hey, Hey guys, in my first term, I was pounding out 70 to 80 hours a week. And I remember this guy saying this to me. And so I literally went, and did a calculate, and I'd never done this before. And I went and calculated all my hours for the month, and then I divvied, I divvied out my, uh, I divvied out my salary, and I was making nine bucks an hour. Holy shit! As a city councilor, and I mean, listen, there's city councilors I know who are working 15 hours a week, and the value of the public service. And again, like I, I'm a believer in government. I'm actually a believer in the vast majority of politics. The vast, you know, the the large majority of members of council right now, they get along. Right, work really hard. I'm the chair of the City of Calgary's Audit Committee. I always say there's no vote, you don't get no votes by chairing the Audit Committee. We're running a $4 billion company. The, the hard work across, right, and the different perspectives, like Peter DeMong and I, Peter DeMong is a city councillor. Him and I could not be further apart on the political spectrum, but we work super hard every day to, to, to keep the lights on. He's a hard worker, he does his job, he chairs committees, he advocates. You know what I mean? We've shared an office wall for all these years. And, Again, could not be right. 
Peter DeMong and I, we always go outside of politics. Outside of like, our, we would never hang out. Right. And you and I, speaking of like shutting down the conversations, which like sure we shut down, we don't we shut down conversations yeah. all the time. We just keep going. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the vast majority of people in leadership roles, and I, I mentioned Councillor Sean Chu and Councillor Joe Maglioka and, and, and very few others who, who I think really do a disservice to our positions of leadership, the vast majority of them are, are working super hard and we get along day to day and you just do, do the job because they care, right? Most politicians who are in this, most of them care and, and are trying to do what they think is the right thing. And I, and I believe that and I know that from experience, right? Yeah, well, you're, you're revealing behind the curtains and, and this is the opportunity that I see, right? As someone who is unattached I might have my opinions, but I, I'm not attached to my opinions. Yeah. I don't have it that it's got to go a certain way, and that's the only way that it's got to go. Because I know that's not, that's not how it works. Yeah. There are many who are attached to their opinions and how it's got to go, but don't understand what's actually happening out in the world. Yeah. And, and so when I hear about the, the work being done, like, the game being played on the court versus in the stands. Yeah. The guys who were like, guys and gals who were like, what the fuck? Like, why didn't you pass the puck or whatever? It's like, dude, you have no fucking clue how to play the game. And you think it, it's like, it's just as simple as passing the puck, yeah. right? And and here is the, the really great thing inside of that, that, that example. It's like, play the game. Play the, the opportunity for you in the stands is to come play the game or not. In which case, be really, really aware of what it is that you're bringing in energetically with your opinions and, and perspectives if yep. you're not playing the game. And the same thing on, on those playing the game, let people know what it takes to play the game. Well, you, you, you bring up a really good point. And actually, you're in the, you're in the, the brand exercise. And my first campaign and in most political campaigns when we developed my brand and so in my first election we spent 80,000 bucks and my campaign team and I brought in a, a pretty good crew of guys young guys and girls but they're all they're, it's a math equation right winning elections and generally the marketing and communications is left with like communicators with poli side political science degrees Hmm. And they actually don't do branding. So I hired a friend of mine who runs a little brand company. He did all of our branding. and I'm super proud of it. And, and I think it went a long way to us winning. But even as government and in government, my frustrations with our with government and political communications and brand and uh, media relations, it is very bad. And we joke, you know, we don't joke, but we say, uh, we had a city, our former city manager said to us, listen, I'm not going to get us the, the top-notch director of our communications department, and I'll tell you why. Because you guys aren't giving me enough money. So the director of communications at the city of Calgary makes maybe maybe a buck 80, I, and I'm, I'm kind of guessing, but I'm, I'm probably not very far off, like a buck 80, maybe 200, to oversee a 200-person communications and marketing and brand department. Hmm. Do you want to, do you want me to, I'm sure you, you, you know, or you could probably guess what uh, that role would pay in the private sector. Not nearly that much. Not nearly that much. The city manager at the city of Calgary, and I think their, their, their salary is public, uh, runs the second largest company in the city 
And he's unbelievably talented. Just that rank gets there, but he makes 350 grand a year. Holy shit. Do you know, I, there's a quote, uh, there's a quote of a number of years ago before I was elected from Rick George, who ran Suncor Energy. And I think it took him 20 million bucks a year or something like that. I mean, the CEO of CP, which runs a much smaller company in terms of, well, maybe not CP, maybe around that. I actually don't know actually what CP's number, but he's making $25 million a year, right? The city manager of the city of Calgary has 15,000 reports. He's making three fifty a year. And so the public service, uh, and not to say that our whole senior management team, I'm not like, like please don't post this broadly on the internet, I whatever won't. you do. I no, promise. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but we don't, we, you got to pay to play, right? Like we, we always tell like, it's so funny, like conservatives, like you got to act more like a business. Uh, and by the way, we're not giving, you know, by the way, your salaries are <laughs> on your senior management team. You don't have any money to do that. And our, and our senior management team work like dogs, but we don't, I'm going, I digressed a lot there. We, we do a very poor job at the city of Calgary of effectively not only communicating, but selling. And, and it's not in that selling, pitching no. evil way, but, um, but participating in how people consume energy, which is a marketing and brand, ex which is a marketing and brand exercise, and we do a horrible job of that. And we run, we run old school media relations, and we don't do a good enough job. And that's why people like, like you just your your narrative on on playing the game uh, is is an important one. And we, we, we on on that end of things, we we do a very poor job. The slow moving beast of politics and government plays a critical role in society. And each of us has a responsibility to improve on how things go, not just for us and for our immediate people, but for everyone to the best of our abilities. Everyone has something to say about how something could be better. It's also not a black and white conversation, so how are we embracing the gray areas? There is no peace without a passion to create. There is no passion without peace to guide. Knowledge fades without the strength to act, power blinds without the serenity to see. So, what are you standing for, and will you go all in? Or will you just assume your role as a spectator yelling from the stands of the game of life? Because those playing the game are not paying attention to the spectators, only the other players.